0: Hold on to your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Boop. Welcome to
1: episode 70 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast, joined as always by Mary, a woman who would like to wish you a happy new beer. I am merely an empty, discarded beer can left on the Times Square sc- sidewalk named Darren. Happy new beer, Mary.
0: <laughs> happy new beer to you, too. You are, are not you? just an empty, discarded <laughs> can. Jeez. Uh, no, you're so why this a- podcast is as good as it oh. is.
1: It's fabulous, it's fabulous. So, how are you? How's how's your two thousand
0: twenty two? Oh God. Well. <laughs> I'll put it at that. Well, no, no, actually, it's going okay, all things considered. It's going fine. You know, it's uh, we had our kind of first snowstorm here in southwestern Ontario the other day. So, huh. going okay. great. Well, fun fun, fun ride home. But, yeah, no, fun. Like, we had a great podcast to kick off the new year. I thought episode 69, Sex and the Civil War, was a great way to kick off. 20, Everyone enjoyed it. Everyone did enjoy it. it certainly <laughs> Apparently. did. Apparently. Thanks did. to everybody who watched it on YouTube and uh, listened to it, you know, via Podbean or iTunes or however you listen to it. But anyway, how are you doing?
1: Oh absolutely fabulous. Things are good. Things are fine. Moving right along here. Nice and cold. Winter has kicked in. We are beyond the holidays. We are now into the new year. We are full sailing ahead. There's a segue by the way we're going to talk about tonight. Nice. Full sail Hmm. ahead to the new year. So what are we talking about today, Mary? What, what, what's on the agenda for tonight?
0: Well, we are going back into the Western Theater and we are going to go back to the Vicksburg campaign, which we actually were there a year ago talking about Chickasaw Bayou or Chickasaw Bluffs. And we are going to go to this. Pro- it's kind of like the second part of that. You know, Sherman, he he loses the battle of Chickasaw Bayou against Stephen D. Lee. He loses it pretty fucking badly. And next up for him is Arkansas Post, which he does with uh, John McClernand. And part of the reason he goes after Arkansas Post is because of what happens at chickasaw bayou so we are no looking question, at a so, so. looking at a part of the vicksburg campaign that is you and i were talking about it doesn't really get discussed a lot and it's also called the battle of fort hindman hindman
1: hindman so oh let's god on the way back machine <laughs> the way back machine here hey, real I could quick turn this,
0: back time
1: okay that's the children are scared so late 1862 ulysses s grant says vicksburg campaign is underway he talked about that one that would continue right up until july 4th of 1863 while the rebels are kind of hunkering down uh, preparing to deal with that union threat to the city there were also rebel troops in arkansas yeah. at a place called arkansas post so we'll talk about that in more detail now the confederates you know were there primarily because of its location now mm-hmm. it's right along the bend of the arkansas in the and the White Rivers, and really with, without that defense, the union could theoretically attack Little Rock, Arkansas without much of an effort, it's kind of like you and a daily work did <laughs> kind of just mail that one in. But – on September 28, 1862, Confederate Lieutenant General Theophilus Holmes married. He's the commander of the Trans-Mississippi Department. Uh, he's also a North Carolinian, the son of the former governor Gabriel Holmes Mary. He's gonna place Rebel Navy officer John Dunnington in charge of those river defenses of Arkansas. Now, Dunnington, you know, he is the um he's a captain of the rebel gunboat called the Poncha Train. What he's gonna do is build a fort on the high ground of the Arkansas River, a place called Arkansas Post, right? Coincidentally, I don't know if you knew this. But Arkansas Post, did you know what was the site of the last skirmish of the American Revolution? Mm-hmm. There you go, right? Pretty cool. I do my but research. Anyhow, oh, I'm sure, you did. Dunnington is going to build that fort called Fort Hindeman, right? Now, this fort was a monster, and it looked like more of a, a medieval fort or a castle than it did in 19th yeah. century. Uh, century one. Mm-hmm. Fort Hyndman, it was sided with oak timbers and contained eight, nine-inch Dahlgren rifles that Dunnington borrowed from his boat, the Pontchartrain, a ten-pound parrot gun, and six-pounder smoothbores. So this thing was armed to the teeth uh, to defend the Arkansas River.
0: As you said, it was Major Theophilus Holmes who's ordered the construction of it, and it's 25 miles above the mouth of the Arkansas River near Arkansas Post, and they can view it like where it's situated. It's kind of like a hairpin Bend in the river, so one mile that way, one mile the other way. They they can view where stuff is. It's the main fortification along the Arkansas River, and it's completed in late November. And who it's named after? Heinzman is the commander of the District of Arkansas, commander of the de- former commander of the Department of Trans-Mississippi. It's a hundred. It's square with exterior parap- parapets, hundred yards in length. The ditch was twenty feet wide and eight feet deep, and surrounded the fort. There was a firing step for the infantry, which ran the length of the interior walls, and inside the fort there was a well, two magazines, and three buildings um, for the men to live. Outside of it, there's a line of trenches which ran for about 720 yards before terminating at Post Bayou, and it's 25 feet high. There's additional rifle pits located to the northeast. At this time, also, there's a hospital opened in Arkansas Post, and winter quarters were constructed about several hundred yards north (laughs) of the fort.
1: War seemed to go on forever. Yes, yeah,
0: and in December, um, the garrison at the fort was in Increase presumably because of the Union being in the area. So the number there was now three brigades of infantry, cavalry, dismounted cavalry, and some artillery support for a total of 5,000 men. And these troops are going to be from Arkansas, Texas, and Louisiana, and they're commanded by a guy named General Thomas James Churchill. And the one thing to note that going into the Battle of Arkansas Post is about 2,000 of these guys are going to be sick. There's been disease and, you know, sickness. Uh, Maybe it's COVID 63 that is running its way, whatever variant through that camp that's taken out 2,000 of these men so I think they got 5,000 men they've actually only got 3,000 that might be suitable for fighting
1: and the ones who are uh, feeling healthy you know they, a couple things one they don't they don't like Churchill why? because yeah. most of these guys are Texans and this guy is from Arkansas you know Churchill's not in, Ar- in Arkansas, right and they also hated the locations you know what happened when the river ran tall the water came right up to the walls and yeah. uh, one of the rebs called it Fort Donaldson number two right mm-hmm. so that was a big issue now despite the fact that there's this garrison of 5,000 guys eyes kind of around the corner grant and the union really didn't seem to worry think that much about arkansas polls for the most part they did make an um, attempt
0: to take it in late november and early december but it fails and they just kind of were like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But they just
1: thing. kind of, it was, it was there. It was just kind of, it's like Rhode Island. It's just there, but no one really cares. About <laughs> you know. it, but but that's going to change in December 28th, 1862, when the Union steamer, the Blue Wing, gets fired upon by those Louisiana cavalry you And it gets captured. And they captured the steamer, and they took it to Arkansas Post. Yep. Now. The, the Blue Wing was full of supplies, including coffee, whiskey, rindings, and a whole bunch of ammo, right? Now, the capture of this boat and its supplies got the attention now of Grant's army faster than the attention you take on 2 and one happy hour. Oh, my God. That's a quick, how quick <laughs> they wised up to that.
0: Well, in particular, but, uh, it got the attention of Sherman because this boat, Blue Wing, was carrying munitions and coal that was hit it to him. And instead the people are like, you know, the troops at Fort Hyman, they're like, all right. And this is really embarrassing for the union that this has happened at this little kind of what they thought was like, ah, they're not a threat. Right. And then they fucking take the ship from them. Right.
1: Problem is that general the guy who was really in charge, John McLaren, and we're going to talk a lot yeah. about who according McLernan. to William, Sh- William to Sherman, he had no real plans to do anything on this rebel fort or nor the blue wing. For the most part, McLaren was, we're going to talk more in more detail about this specifically, but McLaren was extremely disliked by his peers. He was a difficult co-worker. He was that guy who said hot enough for you in the summertime on those hot days. That's who he was. So, so Sherman describes McLaren. As that he, the quote is, he's the meanest man we ever had in the West and with a mean, knowing ambition that would destroy anyone that would cross him. So real quick on John McLaren, Okay. Born May 30th, 1812 in Kentucky, but he moves to Illinois. Mm-hmm. His father died soon after they moved there, so he had to get raised by his mother. So he was smart, and he was mostly self-educated to the point where he passed that Illinois bar and became a lawyer. Now, yeah. he was also a Democrat who despised abolitionists, but he was also very pro-union and very patriotic. Now, he's going to become a U.S. House of Representative from the state of Illinois in 1843, and was extremely popular. Now, with mm-hmm. Claren- he was a political rival of Abraham Lincoln, okay, yeah. and, he, uh, and he also supported Stephen Douglas. But the thing is, he was friendly with Lincoln, and, and when the early in the early days of, of that, they, they just somehow hit it off, So, which is why when the war broke out, Lincoln was quick to make him a general. Now, ironically, the other appointed general from Illinois was U.S. Grant we're going to mm-hmm. talk about. Now, Grant, he sees McLaren's popularity, and he wants to seize on it. And He asked him at one time to give a speech to his own 21st Illinois troops in June of 1861 to discuss the importance of keeping the Union together. But unfortunately, McLaren and Grant's relationship went Kim and Kanye soon afterwards, never recovering.
0: No, it 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 didn't, and it's the same with like he's not well liked by Sherman, but he's kind of got this protection because he's friends with Abraham Lincoln. And the fact that Lincoln needs the support of the Democrats, he figures by bringing McClernand and in much the same way that Lincoln brings Franz Siegel in to get the support of the Germans, he's bringing McClernand in to get the support of the Democrats. And his military career is basically going to be this ongoing clash with Grant. And as we're going to see more so, this one is more so a Sherman, but McClernand is really shrewd. He, he takes, you know, kind of the worst, parts of being a politician and he brings them into being a general, um, you know, and he really thinks that because of Lincoln, he's got this protection that he's going to be like, he's kind of like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And he does some pretty backhanded things. Um, and as we're going to see, it it is going to kind of backfire on him in the end.
1: It, it will. I mean, he's, you know, as soon as everything gets started, it goes back to the Battle of Belmont's right in November yeah. of 1861. Now, real quick, I'm going to talk about Belmont. Belmont, but Grant's going to drive the Rebs along the Mississippi River, and, and he's on the verge of a gigantic Union victory. McLaren's men on this on this attack, they're going to stop to loot that vacated um, rebel camp, while McLaren is going to give a look-at-me victory speech about this battle. Now, funny thing happens is while this is going on, guess what, what the Rebs do? They're going to counterattack and drive those Federal troops back, to, right all the way back to their transport ships. Now, after the battle... McLaren is actually going to lecture Grant on military strategy, and Grant quickly pulls out his F this guy card, Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much the beginning of the end of it, but from this point on, McLaren is going to start writing to Lincoln, complaining about Grant for disrespecting him. Now, what McLaren wanted, I mean, of course, was his own army, Mm -hmm. so in February of 1862, he's going to go to Washington to see his old friend Lincoln without talking to Grant or even Halleck. And he's going to ask Lincoln to give him an army to command. Now, Lincoln and Stanton, are they're going to somewhat appease him. And they're going to give him those Illinois regiments that he recruited and tell them he can use them to attack Vicksburg. So what yeah. Lincoln's kind of doing here is kind of playing both sides of the fence with this. Yeah. Whether it be to get this guy the hell away from him or, or what. But it's its going to be a situation where Grant, of course, is going to find out about this because he always does. Yeah. And what does he do? He's going to ask Sherman to join him on the assaults of Vicksburg before McLaren gets back to Tennessee. So when he does get finally get back there, guess what's going to happen? All of McLaren's troops aren't going to be there anymore.
0: No, they're going to be gone. And he's
1: pissed. He's, he's pissed off. And eventually McLaren is, and his men are going to be added to that fourth corps, uh, primarily to that compromise that they had that um, they had with after Grant complained to Lincoln and Halleck. So basically, in a nutshell, everyone hated McLaren. When, when the Arkansas Post situation kind of came up, right? Yeah. Um, so you know Sherman, you know he knew there was he knew there was no way they could really attack Vicksburg if Arkansas Post was there. So he visits McLernan, um, now commanding the Army of the uh, of the um, of the Mississippi.
0: Yeah, um, which on he that names headquarter- himself. He's technically only. Um, a corps commander, but he tells right. Sherman, oh, actually I'm in charge. And this is the army of the Mississippi. Like he gives it his own name, um, which is completely against what he was not yeah. supposed to
1: do. So, so they're going to meet on a headquarter ship, a, sh- a ship called the Tigris. Mm-hmm. And, and Sherman's going to bring along a, an actual soldier from that blue wing who escaped yep. the rebel capture, right? Now, sherman's going to ask permission he's going to go to mclaren and say hey can i can i go down the arkansas river and attack this fort Hindman?" then mclaren of course nope some no no way yeah um, because he wants to have a meeting first with both sherman and that navy admiral david porter right yeah. and um so jump ahead january 4th 1863 right around midnight and this is this is this is a great story in itself here they're all going to meet Porter on, the, on Porter's ship called the Black Hawk. Yeah. And according to Sherman's memoirs, Porter was dishabbly. Yes, he arrived. was. Yeah. Okay, which means he wasn't wearing much. Maybe he was reading Fannie Hill. But regardless, <laughs> when they got there, this David Porter is sitting in his all together, and here comes Sherman in McClellan. Now, by all accounts, this was a very, very tense meeting. Um, yeah. And Porter was extremely icy towards McClernan to the point where Sherman pulls him aside and says, what the hell's wrong with you? What's, yeah, your he's problem? Like,
0: What's going on? And, and Porter basically tells him, like, I I don't like him. And part of that reason is because of how McClernand had treated Sherman in the past. That was factoring into his dislike of him.
1: And he did like the fact that he was going around everyone's back to Lincoln, and that was the biggest. Part yeah, because no he's. Pl-
0: I think it's because he's. Again, he's. McClernand is a political general, and if you're a political general, that is automatically a strike against you in, especially in the eyes of these guys uh, that have been to West Point or are professionally trained, right?
1: Yeah, I mean exactly, but but you know Sherman. You know, he's still a little feeling it from that loss to John C. Pemberton at Chickasaw bus Well, he yes. was he was gonna do this, right? Yeah. And he clearly, clearly wanted the opportunity to you know, I don't want to say redeem himself, but he wanted to fight again, right? Oh, that factor—that no. that
0: is factoring into it big time because he thought that he's got this loss, but also the men have, ju- uh-huh. his men have just found out about what's happened at Fredericksburg too. And it's like, so they've got this loss at Chickasaw, yeah. but then they've also got the loss in mid-December in the Eastern Theater at Fredericksburg. And Sherman's like, okay. How can I make this right and get myself a win?
1: The, the opportunity was there. They needed to do something. Now, despite, you know, despite the fact that his boats were low on coal, that was the excuse that Porter gave him. He did agree to allow his fleet to to go, mm-hmm. um, primarily because Sherman was involved. He trusts Sherman. Yeah. But he wants to personally go, too. Now, he, upon hearing that, McLaren goes, oh, good. Guess what? I'm going to go now. And so they must have just rolled their eyes and Yeah, they're and like, oh, fuck. Because like... this freaking guy's going. So McLaren is going to do. He's going to divide this army into two corps. The yeah. 15th is going to be under Sherman, uh, and then the 13th is going to be under General uh, George Washington Morgan. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, Chickasaw, this is the guy that Sherman blamed for that whole disaster, yeah. right? Remember that. Mm-hmm. So, in total, the feds are going to bring 30,000 infantry uh, on the seat, as well as 1,000 cavalry and 40 cannon. Now, Porter is going to send his fleet, including ironclads, Louisville, Cincinnati, and the Baron de Kalb, as well as some Rammers. And 60 steamboats to carry the troops. Oh, and by the way, an additional 75 cannon. This is against 5,000 guys. Okay, yep. this guy is this. So they're going. Sherman wanted, he he wanted to get his blingy on in this one. Oh, he's no big about. time
0: getting his blingy on. He's like, well, I lost before, so I really got to bring it this time.
1: It's a. Sherman Corps is going to be split into two divisions commanded by Frederick Steele and David Stewart.
0: Frederick Steele, I was thinking about that. He sounds like a guy who would have fit into our last episode. Okay. With Probably. that name. So. <laughs> but,
1: but they're all going to get on those steamboats and they're going to arrive just below Fort Hindman uh, on January 9th. The ships, are, of course, were spotted by the Rebel Cavalry and the fort goes went absolutely wild mm-hmm. with news of these oncoming Federals. You know, men quickly got in rifle pits. Um, the skirmish lines were set up. Everyone's yelling, it's happening, just like that meme. Yeah, It was all getting down. So once those guys disembarked, Stewart's 2nd Division, they're going to move up along that river uh, to a bank. And what's going to happen? They're going to bump into an initial Rebel skirmish line. Now, Sherman was with Frederick Steele's 1st Division, and he's going to march on a road through a swamp to get in the rear of Fort Hyman. So that's they're originally they're going to try to attack from two different positions. They're
0: going to Savannah
1: it? They're going to try to. So... Once they got near the fort, Sherman's going to hear that the Rebs abandoned that first skirmish line. So they had to go countermarch all the way back to get back with Stewart's division so they can attack the fort altogether now. So Mm -hmm. he's like, okay, Now, by nightfall on January 9th, the Federals were were so close to the rebel lines um, in four miles from the fort. But they're real close to that initial rebel line that Sherman wrote that he could hear them preparing their breastworks for attack. He was that close. The next morning, January tenth, at four o'clock in the morning, Sherman reports that he could hear the rebel bugler play "Revelry," and Sherman said it's the prettiest a revelry as I have ever listened to. Yeah, so you romantic, can just isn't
0: he? you can just picture him doing something like that. And there was other instances in the Civil War where Sherman did creep up really close so he could listen to them, like he. He at times really put himself out there probably kind of risky, but I thought that was really cool. And I read that in his memoirs about oh. the, the revelry and how he thought it was really pretty and stuff. And it's like 4am and he's still up. He's not sleeping. You know, he's, he's up scouting things.
1: Whatever he's doing. But when the sun did rise, uh, he could see those rebel entrenchments in that battle line in, in his front that connected Fort Hyman with that impossible swamp in its rear. So they had rebels have a pretty good line. They have a lot of guys, but they got a good line. So, Porter's boats are now filling the river, so they're in position to begin their bombardment. Now, mm-hmm. on the peninsula leading to the fort, there was a road, and Sherman's men are going to march on the right of the road, and Morgan's corps is going to march on the left of the road. But where's McClernand at this whole time? He's back at his headquarters on the Tigris, yep. on the boat, reported that he kept a good eye on the situation because, and I quote, he placed a man in a tree. That's what he said, right? Brilliant. And so he knew what was going on, so... We'll hear about that again later. So Did the man
0: have the pol- vision like a fucking hawk that he could must, see? Must
1: have. Must have, you know. But the plan was for Porter's gunboats to unleash its guns on the fort, on those rebel defenses, while the infantry would assault the fort from its rear, now where it was its most vulnerable. Now, when the boat started firing, Sherman and his guys were like five, 600 yards away from the line. Yep. They, were, they were that close. So by mid-morning, by 11 o'clock or so, Porter begins firing his guns while Sherman and Morgan begin their ground assault. Now, mm-hmm. one rebel, he said, bullets and shells fell like hail. Uh, the Yankee infantry said it looked like fireworks on the 4th of July. So this picture, these guns, boom, 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 just going absolutely you know, haywire. John Harper, 113th Illinois, he said, the sight was beautiful when they would fire. It looked like all the boats were on fire themselves. So you can just picture in your mind's eye how this thing must have looked. Yeah. Um this onslaught was absolutely severe, was brutal. Captain Samuel Foster of the 24th Texas, he said that their first shell passed just over the top of the fort. It struck the grounds about 40 feet behind us and it kept rolling along uh, breaking bushes. It scared us to death. The roar of the cannonade became so terrible. We had never heard anything like it. The shells were as big as wash pots. So not only are they getting hit but these a lot, they're firing some pretty big ordnance. of these guys. Now, yeah, the rebel the rebel guns are, aren't going to be sitting back doing nothing. No, nope. they're not Dairy Queen. They're not Dairy Queen employees. They're gonna, you know, <laughs> hey, they're gonna. They're, we work gonna hard respond. at the Dairy
0: Queen of King Cardi. Of course
1: you do. Of course you do. But they're going to respond, and Porter's boats are going to take damage as well. That Louisville, they're going to lose eleven sailors. Yep. Um, the Baron de Cale lose seventeen. And a ship called the U.S. Rattler found itself getting stuck in
0: the river fifty yards. from Yeah, the fort. things don't turn out it, good for it.
1: It just got astro glided up and down until finally it was Ooh. able to break free. Yeah. And then finally it, um, it lived its <laughs> way back to the rest of the fleet. A tough day. If you're on a rattler,
0: no question about
1: that. Um, but on the, on, you know, on the ground, the infantry on both sides were, were so close that they could fire volleys at each other almost right in their faces. Now yeah. Sherman, he's going to notice the Rebs were, were actually aiming at the officers, not the men. So he's going to say, dude, split up yeah, tough day for best. mother. That's the yeah. same situation. You know? Um, and that's going to continue on and on, but about 10 o'clock that night uh, on the 10th, Theophilus Holmes, now he's the commander of that Trans Mississippi Department we mentioned, right? Yeah. He's going to send a message to Thomas Churchill, the general of the, um, in charge of the fort, to hold the garrison until help arrives or everyone is dead. Mm-hmm. That's the message he says. So shit. Lots right? of hope.
0: Lots of hope. You
1: know, it was. Um, by the next morning, though, uh, it was a beautiful Sunday morning, by all accounts, Mary, mm-hmm. on the 11th. The Rebs had taken that overnight to, t- uh, to really reinforce and rebuild some of those damaged breastworks. Mm-hmm. Um, they used a lot of dirt, a lot of logs from that previous day. Um, so what they also did, too, is they extended their line um, outside the fort to avoid being flanked by that Union infantry. Mm-hmm. So they're doing the best they can. You know, One Texan soldier, he writes, Churchill rode up to our lines in full uniform and said, boys, we will hold this fort or we will be shot down in these ditches. But then he also says, um he says in their front, it, it was as thick with blue coats as black birds on an oak stack in mid morning. Whatever the hell that means. Wow. But it sounds like there were a lot of blue blue jackets. I don't know about, the, I don't know about black yep. birds on boat stacks. <laughs> blackbirds.
0: Jeez, okay. that sounds kinda okay. poetic.
1: You know, but um but you know what happens again? The guns on the boats start again.
0: And it sounds yeah, and, again. well, yeah, they're the gun like you know, you have the navy involved in this, which we haven't Admittedly, we feel kind of bad for this. We haven't talked a lot about the Navy, but they're heavily involved in this part of the Vicksburg campaign. And and they just keep pounding and pounding them. And it's just that I think this is what wins Arkansas post is, is this oh, the, the Navy. Oh, that's no
1: question. I mean, they're going to start pounding again. And now now the shots are not only landing in the fort, but they're landing in those entrenchment lines. Now, yep. Robert, Robert Chalk, you know, who he is, he's in the, the sixth Texas mayor. Yep. he writes, one shell from the gunboats fell in our lines just under my feet. Little Frank McLaughlin was laying just in front of me. The shell cut him in two. Andy, Andy Sutter's legs uh, were cut off halfway between the knees and his hips. It was awful to see the great amount of blood gushing from his wounds. Oh. So this guy's right in the thick of it. And he, yeah, right, he's well, he that's like, what Ruf- and that's what,
0: like sounds a lot like what Rufus Dawes would have seen. Um, you know, and it takes only... An hour to wreck one side of of Heinven and knock out all three, and then knock out th- all three other their heavy guns. Which, if they take out their artillery, you know, they don't have much left, right?
1: I don't think little Frankie McLaughlin made it.
0: I he don't think so either.
1: Too. I don't think he did. Maybe they'll call him a little after he was cut in half. Maybe after he got the nickname from I don't know. <laughs> no
0: word if he was 5'4, 5'2
1: and a half. But, you know, but the. But the Union compounds it because what do they do is they start firing their their, their light artillery now in front yeah. of that rebel line as well as um, that they're going to have an enfilading fire from artillery that's going to be in a battery from across the river. Um, some of the Rebs said it was as loud as an earthquake. So you get the, you have the artillery coming from the cannon. You've also got it from the boats just pounding, pounding, pounding. Mm-hmm. This goes on for about 15 minutes, Okay. Sherman at this point is going to order his fifteenth corps uh, troops to move forward uh, along that Union right, and as they're going, everyone's cheering, yeah, you know they're cheering as they're yeah. moving. Um, they begin to start firing and start taking volleys. They actually initially get pushed back first. Mm-hmm. They, the, the packs, the the the, the Rebs are so tightly packed in these in these entrenchments that they're able to really yeah. focus their fire. So Sherman has a tough time. The attack is going to sputter after the eighty-third Ohio, of course refused to advance of course and it and what it did is it exposed that 77th illinois so much the only thing they could do was to literally to keep going was to walk over the fallen 83rd guys who wouldn't get up and and some of the illinois soldiers said that they probably trampled on some of the men of the cowardly 83rd ohio who were cursed at them for stepping on them one Illinois soldier said, "We heard so many unpleasant anathemas from, from the Ohioans, which was ungenerally considering it was a Sunday. So, can't swear on Sunday.
0: I fucking do.
1: Uh, of course you, you do. But um, but the reality is, stubborn as the, that rebel defense was, yeah. numbers eventually do tell the story, um, and it turned the, it really turned the tide in favor of the, the Rebs." um those blue coats continue to press that rebel line yep um churchill did get some reinforcements from the 24th arkansas but it was like 100 guys so there wasn't it's not enough no and then soon after one of the bigger controversies in the battle or in the trans mississippi is going to take place
0: yep and that is uh did churchill order to surrender well, yeah. so around around this yeah.
1: around this time, someone in the twenty fourth Texas, under Colonel Robert Garland, is going to raise a white flag yep. from behind the entrenchments, and all of a sudden, a bunch of little white rags are flash waving around it. So the Union men are going to quickly advance, and, and they're going to capture these surrendered uh, Rebel troops. Now, Colonel Dayton uh, from Sherman's staff is going to ride to the Rebel line. Eventually, Sherman himself is going to go up there yep. and they're going to call a ceasefire. Right. Sherman mentions in his memoirs that the carnage he saw once he got into the fort uh, was brutal. There was dead men and dead horses everywhere. Um, now Sherman, he is going to meet uh, Colonel Garland, okay, the guy of the Twenty Fourth Texas, yep. and um, he's going to tell him the usual stuff: stack your arms, wait for orders, um, you know, do your whole thing. He's then going to meet with General Churchill, uh, the commander of Fort Hyman. Now, when they meet, when they meet, Churchill says, "Well, Sherman." I've made the best fight. I made the best fight in my power. And Sherman responds, in a very valid fight you made. I don't know if that was actually said, but that's what Sherman said. But they also
0: got, like, there was a bit of fighting that went on too, right? Like, Garland was like, why did you display the white white?" Like Churchill was like, why did you display the white flag oh. to Garland? I received orders to do so from one of your staff. And Churchill denied uh-huh. giving that order. And like Sherman just describes like this kind of angry words, which I, I can just imagine the language that was spoken that passed between them. So there was yeah. like, controversy but, behind but that. It was. Before
1: before that happens, though, right, you know, Church- Churchill's going to realize not all his men are very happy about the surrender or want to? Mm-hmm. John Donnington, that naval guy, um, you know who he's the one who built the fort. He refused to surrender to anyone except his naval peer, David Porter. And when he did, he said to Porter, "You wouldn't have gotten us off and off of your damn gunboats." That's what he says. But the biggest challenge they had was on was on that further on the rebel line yeah. by a guy named James Deschler. Okay, James Deschler also refused to surrender. It was well, he, he he just Hadn't got, you know he hadn't got orders to surrender yet, yeah. so he just got to keep going. So Churchill and Sherman are actually going to ride down to see Deshler together. Now, if you're Deshler, okay? You're a brigade commander. Here comes Churchill and William freaking Sherman riding. So, see, oh, I can I, only imagine. What I he's know, thinking, right? and so, and
0: Sherman's like he's like I spoke to him kindly, saying that I knew a family of Deshlers in Columbus, Ohio, and re- inquired if they were relations of his. So he's kind of like, hey, do I know you?
1: And Desh was going to respond back. No, I have no, I have no relatives. Yeah. Or something <laughs> like that. Um, but it was funny, that story you mentioned about Garland, you know, this is when he approaches him when Churchill says to Garland, Hey, why did you just play the freaking white flag? And he said, I, someone told me, you know, maybe it was shaggy. He didn't do it, you know, but, some, <laughs> but someone got the, someone got the order. And, um, and, but Churchill denied ever giving the order. Um, now, you know, with the fort under control now, because Deschler finally does surrender, with the fort under control, McLaren, who's still back on his boat, um, is going to order Sherman to leave A.J. Smith in charge and yeah. return to the Tigress that talk with them. He wants to know what the story is. So, yeah. So M- M- McLaren, upon hearing the news that the army now controls uh, Fort Hyman, as well as a whole surrounding area, he yells, glorious, my star is on the ascendant. So he puts it all on him. Yeah. And He was jealous of the Navy. So we'll talk about this before, and he gave all credit to the Army. He even told Washington, you know, glorious, glorious, I even had a man in a tree. He was outlined to to tell Washington about the man in the
0: tree. You can't even imagine, like, Sherman shows up to the Tigers, right? And McClernand is sitting there doing his, oh, my star's in the Ascendant. And he's sitting on the boat deck, probably with a pineapple drink in his hand, right? You know, I'm thinking of Ferris Bueller. That scene from Ferris Bueller, that's exactly how McClernand was being. It's just like that. Like, he, look at me. I got this he, victory and I just put a guy in a tree.
1: Oh, no, he stayed back, you know. So by nightfall on January 11th, you know, Sherman had again returned to the fort. He went back because he had to deal with the rebel prisoners, totaling about 4,800 men. Most of them into are an sick. Marching to an area just above the fort, right? Now, most of the Rebs. And this is a, this is a good story most of the Rebs are pissed off at garland for waving that white flag yeah because the story's making its way around the, the, the prisoners that he did this without orders and they're all pissed at him right so for that reason he's going to actually ask sherman if he could stay with him that night and have a feety pajama sleepover <laughs> with sherman <laughs> god and Sherman agrees to it he'd let some so according to sherman they had coffee and bread together and talked politics by the fire until the wee hours until they turned in and went to bed.
0: And what fee pajamas so had, did they have on? Were they superheroes?
1: Probably, probably Scooby Doo. Who the hell knows? But something <laughs> was Sherman. It was something hot, you know. But, but but he actually does that to protect the guy. So um, say, so you will know about Sherman, you know? <laughs> he protected the rebel guy. So the next day on the twelfth, the Rebs are, are are all put on the boats and they're going to be sent up to St. Louis and eventually to northern prisoner war camps. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a policy change at this point that there was no more prisoner exchanges, right? So they were all going to be shipped up to um, up to prisoner war camps. And you know what else they found? They found the blue wing. And they were so happy to see most of the supplies were still on it. So not only did they get the fort back, but they got their boat back. Um, A.J. Smith's going to leave on the 13th to take control of Fort Hyman. And the rest of McLaren's army is going to reembark on those steamers, and they're going to head back. And I guess it was a real bad snowstorm. They talked about the snow um
0: but i drove home in one was, of those
1: today yeah we heard all about it, you know but it was probably it was right around now when, when mclaren is going to get a message from a pissed off u.s grant mm-hmm. who disapproved of the assault and called the attack on arkansas post and i quote a wild goose chase so he had to he had to return to a place called Milliken's Bend to wait for Grant's arrival, and he knew yep. he was pissed. It's kind of like when you drink all the whiskey at your house, and you're younger, and your parents came home, and you knew they knew, and you you, you had to wait for it. Yeah. But while he's waiting, he's going to write out his official report of the Battle of Arkansas Post, and he's going to make zero mention of Porter or Northern Navy, not a
0: word. Oh, and then this is McClernand, right? That that's how he. Right. he's going to put report. every he's
1: going to take full credit for himself and his army yeah that's now, what
0: sherman mentions he said um sherman said that this was unfair for i know that the admiral led his fleet in person in the river attack and that his guns silenced those of fort hindman and drove the gunners into the ditch and this is not you know this is just the beginning of sherman going on his campaign on this like against mcclernand which is rightful but- right it Was mm-hmm. McLaren's going to
1: continue to triple over himself yep. if he's finally going to get fired you know, uh, at the
0: siege of Vicksburg later?
1: We'll talk about that. You know, we've already talked about it. You can go back mm-hmm. and listen to that one again if you're married. If you forgot, but the thing about the picture of Arkansas Post though, despite what Grant's opinion was, and admittedly, I think Grant wrote that quote about the goose chase before he knew they won. I think yeah. realistically, he probably did, but yep. regardless. It had a lot of positives for the Union Army.
0: Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah, Sorry, go ahead.
1: It freed up Union communication Mm lines on the Mississippi River for that Vicksburg campaign. And it really boosted morale and helped the people forget, especially Sherman, about that Chickasaw Bayou. Yeah,
0: yeah, he was wanting to forget about Chickasaw Bayou. And you can see that in the letters that he writes post Arkansas Post. Sorry, that was really awkward to say um anyway so he like after the battle he is going to write three different letters and sherman is like he's talkative in real life and holy shit this man is talkative in his letters too like i've got a book full of his civil war letters and um it's interesting to read them because he's you realize this and it's like you know i love sherman he he's a great general um but my god he can be bitchy right
1: He definitely, um, he definitely has his mom, he he can get his, he
0: can get his kind of like, he's, I mean, in this case, he's justified, but it's like to anybody who, who will listen, he, he wants to talk about what, what has happened and to kind of, he's trying to justify himself in, in, in what he's done. And so he writes to Ellen after the battle, we carried the post of Arkansas yesterday and captured all of its stores and garrison. As usual, my troops had the fighting and did the work. But of course, others will claim the merit of glory. Let them have it. The soldiers know who studied the ground ahead and directed the movement. It was not a battle, but a clean little affair, success perfect. Our loss comparatively light. So there he's kind of throwing a little bit of shade at McClernand without saying his name. But to his father-in-law, Thomas Ewing, who obviously has political connections in uh, Washington, he writes... It was a worry to me to place McClernand in command, but I must not question Mr. Lincoln's right to select his own leaders. To me, McClernand is one of the most objectionable because his master is Illinois and his personal notoriety, whereas I prefer to serve the whole United States and to check the gnawing and craving appetite for personal fame and notoriety. And he also goes on to write Thomas Ewing, of course the world will hold me responsible for the failure at Vicksburg, meaning Chickasaw Bayou. And give McClernand the complete success at the post and being interested, I must not question the verdict. Um, And finally, to his brother, uh, he writes, Of course, I must be satisfied with being beaten at Vicksburg and leave McClernand to get the credit of this success, though I doubt if there be many in the army who believe he conceived the idea or executed it. I led the columns, gave all the orders and entered the place where he came along and managed the prisoners and captured property. So he is really bitter about this. And that's the interesting thing about studying Arkansas Post is not just the battle itself and what it means for communications for the union going into the Vicksburg campaign and how they're not going to have to worry about their boats getting intercepted because they don't have convoys going with them down the Arkansas River. It is this kind of Mean Girls thing that's going on between Sherman McClernand. Well, doesn't Sherman do the same thing though with Porter? I mean, think to
1: he wins Absolutely. Arkansas, posts a great victory. Yeah. he doesn't really. I mean, he, he's
0: he, not giving he, any you know, credit to Porter.
1: And he also got an easy win because the other guy threw in the towel without orders, right? Exactly. Now, he, they were going to win anyway, but I, I just got a kick out of that. Um, yeah, he's about not Claire mentioning embellishing. Yeah.
0: You know. and he's not but, mentioning. But, oh, by the way, Porter was there too, and he fucking helped me because without him, we would. Because you, know, you you got to admit, without Porter, they could not have taken Arkansas Post.
1: Well, I think they could have. They, I mean, well, assuming they could have got there, they had to
0: get there exactly. So they,
1: they needed the bull. They de- they needed so, the navy. You know, so I guess yes, but as far as when the battle started, I think the infantry with the artillery probably could have taken it, but they had to get there. So yeah, they had to get there. So yeah, absolutely. But I think the
0: bombardment um, from. Boats really is, I don't know, it's a very, the Navy's very underrated in the Civil War to begin with, and I think this is one of the places where they really help out quite a bit, and they don't get the credit. I mean, Arkansas Post doesn't get talked about enough in the Vicksburg campaign, and I think it's nah, really important part of the Vicksburg campaign.
1: Nah, nobody talks about that, especially for the morale. We talked about the morale on the north, but the morale on the south was pretty was pretty low, especially in Arkansas in yeah. this battle. After Hyman fell, many of the c- civilian slave owners took their slaves and moved to Texas because mm-hmm. they figured they had an easy walk, they were going to come and take their slaves. But when you look at the total casualty reports, you mean know, you know, um, you know, so, so for the union, they lost a, they lost 100, only 134 guys, but they had 898 wounded and about 30 missing. Mm-hmm. The Rebs only lost 60 guys who were actually killed. Yeah. They had 80 wounded but 4,791 captured. So they bagged the whole garrison. As a matter of fact, the Confederate losses represented 25% of the total rebels in the Trans-Mississippi region. So anybody who says Arkansas Post is kind of meaningless is insane because you could have guaranteed, you know, that, that, the Confederates Pemberton could have used five thousand guys at the Siege of Vicksburg at exactly. some point to try to leave that yeah, siege. Yeah, because you so, think
0: if they didn't bother to go after Arkansas Post, there would have been a point where Pemberton was like, "Okay, you guys, like, uh, like just abandon it or leave." Skeleton crew, get up here. We need your help. You know, he could have very well done that. But
1: it's also strategic. Strategic too is you know, if you're taking a boat from Memphis, right? Yeah, that whole area. Down to Vicksburg, down that area. You gotta go right down past the Arkansas River. Mm-hmm. And I know that Arkansas Post is not on the Mississippi, but it's close enough where it's you gotta look over your shoulder as you're going by. Yeah, well it's the, the Union were still to wanting to
0: the, the union were still wanting to send boats up and down the Arkansas River, and that's what they were uh-huh. doing. With Blue Wing, and Blue Wing got taken because they weren't sending the convoys right. with it to protect it, and they needed to have that, and as well as you said, you know, it's going to secure like communications as well.
1: Yeah, and it was really a very underrated slam dunk victory, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's one that Sherman needed it for his own psychological being, but I also think that the Union needed it. Um, it did give McClernand Star a little bright little shine for a little while because you know the, how badly he wanted to report his victories, yeah. um, his star and the ascendants and all that stuff. But I think what it did do, it did further the divide between him and Grant and Porter and Sherman. And with a guy like McLaren, they knew the emperor has no clothes. They all knew it. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it took him a while. It really wasn't until the siege in, 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 in you know, in June and July yeah. um, when he claimed that great victory of the parapets and they lied and Sherman's, you know, then they finally got rid of him and you know then they were all joking that he quit and got him the hell out of dodge so he was a guy he's that guy in the office who no one likes and they just and he just and he's taking credit credit
0: for everything like he's sitting up in the tigress with his like pineapple drink on his beach chair and he's like "Ooh, look at me my stars in the ascendancy right now like and and sherman's like i just did all the fucking work like what the hell dude but then again, you know, you have Sherman writing to his wife and his father-in-law and his brother, and he's not talking about, I mean, he might mention Porter a little bit, but he's like, geez, I guess I'm going to have to take this fucking loss at Chickasaw.
1: The Chickasaw thing definitely drew blood. There's no question. He oh, did. he think- was
0: so just... That really took it. I think he, you know, Chickasaw, like going into the Vicksburg campaign, I think he and Grant thought they had it. And then the shit at Holly Springs went down with Earl Van Dorn, and Grant couldn't get to Chickasaw and... Sherman didn't have the right maps and I think it was just Sherman getting a little bit ballsy ends up being taken down a few pegs because he loses right
1: oh they would like nothing more if they could have taken Vicksburg before McLaren oh, and they
0: thought for sure it was going to happen and then Earl Van Dorn comes in and he screws all that up but
1: he does and then Stephen D. Lee gets on that that, that yep. ridge the hell out of Donna Chickasaw so yeah if any anyway, if, if
0: y'all want to know what we're talking about listen to our episode about Chickasaw Bayou uh, which we recorded mm-hmm. last year around this time. did
1: right around this time. So what it does, it, re- it really freed up Grant uh, to continue his, that long siege is going to take place till next July. Um, but it just, like, it takes 5,000 guys out of the equation. It gives the union a much needed win yep. after the Chickasaw Bayou and the whole fiasco. And including Dor- the
0: loss at Fredericksburg too. Like it gives them that kind of, cause they knew about that. And that was Sherman said that was affecting the troops is hearing about that loss at Fredericksburg.
1: No, no question. No question. So, that's a pretty good discussion we could talk about right there. So, what's coming down the pike for us? Well, the
0: one thing that we have to mention that we didn't at the beginning was what are we drinking tonight? What did we drink during this episode?
1: I noticed noticed you forgot about that.
0: Uh, Um, What?
1: So, okay, since you asked. Who was hosting
0: tonight?
1: ladies first i was gonna wait for you to announce who you drink drinking oh you know? my
0: god um anyway i am drinking monogamy by bellwoods brewery out of toronto it is a single it's a single hop ipa it's awesome they do a different one every so often with a different type of hop in it and i am drinking it out of one of my sherman mugs which is i dream of a brighter atlanta i know tonight's episode had nothing to do with atlanta but it was the only sherman mug i could find in my sure. cupboard so okay. what are you drinking
1: well, I'm drinking from Trillium, a beer called True New Englander, which is what I am because I'm cold and miserable and arrogant, mm. but that's what I'm drinking right <laughs> here, and, I, and I'm and i drinking it out of my U.S. Grant coffee mug. Is that because, the one you bought
0: in, in uh, Gettysburg last month? Matter
1: of fact, it is, Mary. So matter of so fact, it is. That's so. And as he always says, I've never advocated war except at a means of peace. I so bought anyway, the same couples. mug. You did. Of course you did, copycat. But anyway, um, but I thought, I think it's a fun discussion to talk about this. I think- as far as a battle goes, I mean, there were casualties. It wasn't that much. But I think it's interesting to have that joint Army-Navy attack that was very yeah. well coordinated. Um, and you don't see it too, too much in the war. You do from time to time, but not like this.
0: Well, you don't um, hear about the Navy very much. They're like the red-headed stepchild that doesn't get talked about. And in this one, they are definitely a part of it. And, I mean, my opinion is they are the the reason that they won this. They needed the Navy in this battle to win it. They
1: did. And they had to. When you're taking 30,000 infantry, a bunch of ironclads, mm. you're taking rammers, you get artillery, cavalry, going into a 5,000-man garrison, you knew they would go in there to, yeah. to, to beat them up a little bit. And I think they had to, and they did. And um, and I think it's uh, it certainly helped keep the momentum going and get that, maybe that spark back to head into Vicksburg. In, um As they headed to that 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 winter into spring campaign that led into summer, which finally led to the fall of Vicksburg. And nine 4th, months later. Nine months later, but again, <laughs> that, that was really that was really a gigantic change um, in, in in you know for for Lincoln after those things you talked about before, with Fredericksburg and some of the crappy yep. luck that he had. And it really it, Vicksburg really changed the war. Meanwhile, Gettysburg's taking place down the on the other side of the uh, of the coast as yep. well. So. What is coming up next, Mary, since you didn't answer
0: me? Well, we are going to be talking Fort Fisher. And then we are going to be talking Mill Springs. Ooh, George Thomas. Ooh, The Rock. Oh, no. And then I think it's on January the 19th. We are going to be having our first roundtable of 2022. So if you want to sign up for that, info at Civil civilwarbreakfastclub.com. And then on January the 26th at 6 p.m., we are going to be having our first book club meeting of 2022. And our first book for 2022 is Armistead and Hancock by Tom McMillan. He will be joining us for that discussion on January the 26th at 6 p.m. via Zoom. Anyone is welcome, even if you haven't read the book. You are welcome to join us. Just come sit in, listen to the discussion, and if it intrigues you enough, hopefully you will buy the book and read it. Info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com. And we will send you an invite.
1: All right. Sounds like a good time. So off we go. Any final words from you, Fincheru?
0: Well, thank you as always for bringing it, like you always do, into our second episode of 2022. You are an amazing co-host. And thank you to our listeners uh, for supporting us for these 70 episodes.
1: 70 in the books we are on to 2022 we are good to go <laughs> and we are ready to go on a fun and exciting year with a bunch of fun stuff we are going to talk about so that is it so thanks for signing on everybody thanks for listening to us we appreciate it hope to see you at our live this weekend we have a good long and safe weekend if the weather sucks where you are where it probably is stay safe stay warm and we will look forward to talking to you all on the other side
0: see y'all later Peace out. Bye. <laughs>